Hello, and welcome to episode 242 of Constructing Comics, a podcast building stories one page and one panel at a time. On this episode, we have an interview with T. Garrett Peterson, creator of Deliverance, now on Kickstarter. Garrett, thanks so much for coming back on the podcast and, and joining us. Um, let's start off with a quick bio about yourself and an elevator pitch for this awesome book that's on Kickstarter now. Of course. Thank you for having me. Um, just a bio on myself, I guess. Uh, I've been writing since high school. High school is when I decided I really wanted to uh, get into writing and specifically comics. Um, it's my favorite medium. It's my favorite way to tell a story. So I've uh, just been working on it. I'm way out of high school now. So <laughs> it's been something that I've been working for for a long time, many years. But as for Deliverance, uh, the logline or elevator pitch for it would be Battle Royale meets What Dreams May Come, that old, uh, well, not really that old, but the Robin Williams movie. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a great one if you've never seen it before. Um, and I do have like a little pitch that I could read off if you want me to. Yeah, that'd be great. Perfect. So here we go. In modern day America, many feel that we have been forsaken by God. Our protagonists, three single-parent families, experience the sense of estrangement. And they're right. God has abandoned heaven. But what these three parents don't know is that each of their children possesses a spark of divinity. Each of them has the potential to wield divine power as a new God and to take God's place in heaven to keep the lights of eternity flickering for a little bit longer. The catch? They must compete in a tournament to the death against the forces of both heaven and hell to decide who will wield the power. Only one will be left standing. Winner takes all of creation. Very cool. So I want to circle back sort of maybe like a comic, comics origin. Um, but before we do that, let's talk about sort of the logistics of, of this series. This Kickstarter here is for, for issue three. Um, do you have a sort of an outline of what you think the, the story is going to um, take place as, as far as issues like are you, are you looking at arcs ongoing like where are we with issue three um in the sort of larger world of this comic for sure so <clears throat> excuse me uh the ish the series is going to be 13 issues in total 13 and then we're done uh this is going to be the first arc so one through six is going to encapsulate our first trade it's going to be volume one and then seven through 13 is going to be volume two. And then the dream is to have one big, I mean, this is what everyone wants. I want a nice big, like hardcover collecting all 13 issues. Uh, that's what we're all, um, we're all working towards. Are you a fan of Rick Remender at all? Yes. Yes. For sure. Yeah. So you know how he does those beautiful, like hardcover bound books of his series when they're all done, like mm -hmm. low and uh, black science and, all of that stuff. I want, I want one of those, man. <laughs> I mean, everyone wants to be in hardcover and everyone wants to have like a nice edition of their work, but that's what we're working towards. Uh, so issue number three, it's uh, still, you know, I mean, issue number three is where things really start to speed up one and two, where we were introducing you to our characters and our world. But issue three is where things, the world building of itself really starts to expand. And uh, yeah, it's just been, it's been a crazy ride to get to this point of getting issue three out there. Um, but now I'm just really excited and I just get to, we actually are all done up until issue number six. 
as of right now. So the next, the issue that we're working on right now, Diego just sent me the inks for the first page of issue number seven just last week. So uh, we're hard on work on the next arc and uh, the Kickstarter that we do for these first six issues is what's going to help us uh, get there. Very cool. So um, I have a couple of questions. I think it's going to relate to sort of the series and your, your origin with, with comics. Is this a story that you've had sort of in mind for, for a long time? Or, you know, it seems like there's a lot and there also seems like there's a lot of like various aspects of it. So maybe it was like, you know, you, you had this little, kernel of a, of a story beat or this little you know environment or this you know um concept but like how long mm-hmm. has deliverance been something um that you wanted to work on a long long time um it may not seem i mean it's got angels and demons and all this crazy shit but it's actually a very personal story uh it's something that um i poured a whole lot of myself into Um, If you knew me, I mean, I grew up very religious. Uh, I come from a very religious background. And when I decided that I really wanted to get into writing, you know, the thing that I kept hearing about over and over and over is that writers write what they know. So I'm just like, okay, I've had this experience of being in the church and growing up a certain way. And now I'm getting to the point where I feel kind of differently. And I feel like there's a lot of material like this story like I felt it you know there's some stories that I have to really work on and pick apart and try to figure out you know what I'm saying but with this one I knew exactly what I wanted to say it was just finding the right vehicle to be able to uh express it correctly does that make sense yes it does a lot um and it's pretty interesting um I actually one of the books I did um uh early on when I started my career was a um uh, a book called Digital Forever, and it had to do with sort of like simulated afterlives. Ooh. And um, and part of me was uh, um, my my father had recently passed away, so part of me was like mm-hmm. sort of like processing that. And you know, obviously, like it's not like a real world experience that I have, but part of me was like some of these feelings um, that I have are having me, you know, explore this narrative, which looks like this sci-fi sort of, you know, memento, um, you know, just this, you know, maybe like a Philip K. Dick book, like what things are real, what things are not real. But also a lot of it was me sort of, in a strange way, sort of like processing, um, you know, trying to come to terms with that in my own mind. So it sounds like a lot of like, you know, you're taking um, an experience or bits from an experience um and you're sort of um and I don't want to put words in your mouth but it seems like maybe you two are sort of like processing these feelings um and working through like these concepts in a creative way which is a sort of a way to you know think about those things explore those feelings and sort of uh work through them and like I said I don't want to put words in your mouth and that that's what you're doing but it kind of seems to me like there might be a little bit of that there No. Yeah. 100%. 100%. And ultimately, I mean, that's what, that's what art is supposed to be. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, um, I'm sorry to hear about your father's passing though, by the way, but like, I'm glad that you were able to um, find an outlet to be able to try and channel and understand all of those feelings. Thank you. You know? um, Yeah. I mean, like, 
that's what art is for in my opinion i think we're here to be we're trying comic book creators but then also just like people in general if you want to get really like <laughs> philosophical about the whole thing we're all seeking connection mm-hmm. with other people some of us more so some of us less so but you know artists um and i don't like to refer to myself as an artist but like creative people we're trying there's desperately something that we're trying to say about the world that we're trying to get out of us and we're trying to you know express that at least you and me we're trying to express that in story form in comic book form um and we're trying to like seek connection and trying to get other people to understand you know where we're coming from and that's what stories are that's what i think stories are for i think it's for seeking connections with other people so yeah yeah i kind of got lost a little bit no that. no that's cool it was a really it was a really sort of beautiful way to put it so i i i, I like that that little tangent that you went off there so so no worries there <laughs> um so now that we got really deep in you know uh and stuff there let's let's again sort of circle back to to this book so you had mentioned um that you have um 13 issues planned it seems like mm-hmm. to me that it's very um worked out um by you at this point um do you know sort of like what that um you know that last page last panel on uh issue 13 is going to be so that you're always sort of working to it or is the end not quite set in stone just yet it's that's a great question because just as of like about a month ago i would have said it was set in stone i knew i finished writing the series well, finished in quotations. I finished writing it years ago. Uh, the thing that's just been the most difficult part of the process is producing the actual comic book and making sure uh, Diego gets paid and ever, everything and make sure everyone who, the four of us, there's four of us working on it all together, making sure everyone gets paid. And Yeah, um, <clears throat> I didn't know what the last panel was going to be and I still think the last panel is going to be the same but there's going to be a few revisions a little bit um, in the third act, just right before we get there, but it's not going to change anything uh, completely. It's not going to change anything completely. We just had one thing with one character that we wanted to adjust and make a little bit more epic, but like, cause it's our last issue and everything, but dude, the last issue just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. I think it's already over 40 pages and I'm just like, I'm just like, how am I going to afford to produce this issue? It's just, it just keeps getting bigger, but like, you really want to go, you know, go big or go home. Uh, at least I want to with the story because we've been working on this. We've been working on this thing since 2016. I mean, 2016 is when we got the very first issue drawn but i've been writing it since even before then and changing it so many times throughout the years so it's uh i don't know i mean how many with your projects do you mind me asking do you tend to get something i don't know do you write something and then do you put it away for six months or so uh yeah there's a little bit of that i uh I, I try to have a daily sort of practice of uh, some sort of brainstorming or some sort of uh, creative writing. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of times, you know, it's the, it's that staring at the blank curse or just trying to get started. Um, and I might just get a thought like, um, 
you know, I'll just randomly like vampires want like permanent darkness. So they build sort of a Dyson sphere that they block the sun with. So then like cool. that, that'll just sort of like give me the idea. Um, and then I'll just sort of write something and maybe it's just like four pages and then I'll put it away. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the next day there might be like another spark of an idea and I'll work on that. But eventually like I will come back to them because, you know, either, you know, I'm doing something and I'm like, oh, I need to revisit that vampire Dyson spear idea that I, that I have. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, not always do I put things away. Um, you know, if the sort of the, the spark of creativity and, and, and working it through, I'm able to, um, I'll work on it, but I will put things away um, and, and look at them. There's a thing that I'm working on now. Um, and I hadn't looked at the, uh, I hadn't looked at the draft in, in quite some time. It's probably mm-hmm. been close to about six months. So I did look at that recently and I was like, okay, I kind of really still like this idea, but this now that I've thought it through is not going to work. Um, mm-hmm. So there, there is, there is a bit of that and sort of the, the time away is, is helpful. Um, do you find that for yourself? 100%. Uh, have you ever read On Writing, Stephen King's book? Yeah, uh, I, I have that. I have a copy of it in the, the bookshelf behind me. That's, that's one of my favorites. Me too. I'm a huge Stephen King fan. Uh, he writes about that specifically on how he'll, you know, write something. And that I mean, he has the luxury of doing this because he's Stephen King, but <laughs> he can write something. And then just a first draft of it or like a vomit draft. And then he'll just put it away for six months or for a year. And then coming back to it and seeing it with fresh eyes and not necessarily remembering all the um, little details and things like that, he's able to better understand the story that he's trying to tell. Um, So I think it's, yeah, I think that's a, it's a good way of working. And it's a, you know, it's just like, I don't know, man. I mean, same thing with novels. Well, with comics, I think it's a little different. I mean, you can tell me if you agree or not, but I think every single time a comic book story actually gets produced and turned into a comic and gets shown to people, I think it's a little miracle. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it's a miracle that these things, it, I guess it's a miracle that any story um, leaves the drawer and sees the light of day at some point. Um, just so much, so many things have to go right. Exactly. But you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm just, it's making me think about, I have other stories that I've written um, mm-hmm. apart from Deliverance, but just the amount of, you know, finding the right artist and then like production and just all these other things. It's just, you know, I don't know. It's, it's pretty crazy, but I love it. You know, I love when it all, when it finally all starts to come together. Yeah. That you, you said a lot of things that really resonated with me. Like, um, a lot of times I'll talk to to people on this podcast and like, there's different levels of sort of, you know, comics fandom. Like you might just be, um, you know, somebody, a guy or a girl who's just excited just to to get your books and read them. And then there'll be a certain amount of people who are like, um, I have this idea um, for, for a book. Um, But then to act on it, and actually like see it through that's like an even smaller subsection of like kind of comics fandom and like the the people who are really into it so much that they that they want to to make something um so yeah i agree with you there and when you were talking about it there's i don't know if i'm going to get it exactly right but there's a 
sort of like an Alan Moore quote about like artists and, and he's, he kind of goes down to like um, being narrow about comics that it's like, it's almost magical because you're taking, you know, this two dimensional pen and paper and mm-hmm. you're making it, you're, you're transporting somebody to, to, to this world to, to, to experience these things. You are. And it's even, I think it's, I'm not going to say, I mean, it's different from reading a novel. I love novels and I love comics. Um, With novels, it's all being created within your head. But then with comic books, there's like a certain, you know, you're kind of like peering into, (laughs) you're kind of like peering into a universe, sort of. There's something about like, you're the watcher and you're, not the Marvel character, but like the literal watcher. And you're just like reading this comic and it's like, I'm really glad that you brought that up because like Alan Moore and Grant Morrison, um, I've been diving more into like Grant Morrison's like philosophies about comics. And it's just, it's, it's bonkers, man. But like, I think they're, I think they're totally right. I mean, it's Grant fucking Morrison. So mm-hmm. that dude is always going to, um, <laughs> he's always going to know more about uh, reality than I'm ever going to be able to understand. <laughs> but yeah. have you read have you read the multiversity before the um the the this the, the, the series or the, the series yeah not just like but like the whole series like grant morrison's like um multiverse dc epic yes yeah i uh i i have read those um it's it's a number of uh number of years now but i i, right. I did read those and enjoy those Dude, yeah. So I've been reviewing over some of them and there's this constant motif throughout all the issues about like all the characters getting a hold, like the superhero characters within the comic book are getting a hold of the actual comic book. Do you remember that? Yeah, a little bit of that. Yeah. Yeah, And like, I think at one point, like the doesn't like the, the the book actually like becomes like the like the the map for them or something of like the the multiverse yes. yeah yes <laughs> uh commandy or commandy finds it and realizes that like it's like and then he starts and then he starts talking to you like grant morrison has, does this thing multiple times where like the comic book characters in the comic are talking to you like he he believes that comics are this sort of like interdimensional gateway and I, I totally, I mean, I think, I think he's right in a way. There is something like what you were saying in the Alan Moore quote, like a 2D surface um, imprinted, uh, t- imprinted 2D surface and then like a 3D world, like visualizing it and reading it. And like, I don't know, I'm not, no, I don't know where I'm going with this, but I've just been thinking about it lately. And Barry Allen, Barry Allen's origin story, he was reading about the Jay Garrick Flash before mm-hmm. he became the Flash. I don't know if you're a big Flash fan at all. Yeah, I, I know the yeah I know the 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 basic origin of it. Yeah, for sure. Um, I just reread Year One, or no, I just read for the first time uh, Year One by Joshua Williamson and Howard Porter, which is a terrific Flash Year One comic. If anyone's looking for that, but there is this like, I guess what I'm trying to say is that you know there's a tie between imagination and comic books (laughs) specifically and i think that's one of the reasons why you know it's it's i think that's one of the reasons why like comics are 
always going to be around and have had such like a huge impact in our culture and our, you know, cause like superheroes, I guess in particular, like are like our modern day, you know, Greek mythology. That's kind of like how I see it. And I think Grant Morrison talks about that as well in his, uh, his superpower, his, uh, his novel that he did. I can't remember the name of it right now, but I think, I feel like, you know, it's because of the medium of comics that superheroes have been able to reach such high successes. There's something about telling a story in this format, even if not as many people, because comic books aren't the like number one medium mm-hmm. in America. You know, I mean, there are other parts in the world where they are really huge, but um, there's something special about it. I really, I really think so. And yeah. I'm sure, and you do too. I mean, like there's a reason that like, uh, we want to devote so much time and energy to it. Yeah, yeah, no, I, again, you, you said a lot of things that you agree with. I've actually used the uh, the Greek mythology sort of uh, defense at times where, you know, if I, if I if I engage somebody in a conversation and I feel that maybe they're, they're looking down at, at comics, um, and a lot yeah. of times, you know, it's, I have to explain to, to people um, who maybe are not as into this as, as much as I am or you are that like mm-hmm. comics is, is a medium. Uh, right. S- superheroes is a genre. Like, mm-hmm. and, then, and then, and like, I can have a conversation with, with so many people and they're like, you know, I really like this TV show or like, I really like this movie. And sometimes you can really shock them. You know, you can be like, you know, that source material was, was based on, uh, you know, this book or like this movie that you Definitely. saw was a six issue, you know, image series oh. that came out like two years ago. And they, they have no idea that like, you know, all of these ways of, of story can be told. And I enjoy superhero comics as much as, as the next guy. But a lot mm-hmm. of times, you know, it's the the bamboo pal, you know, comics aren't just for kids anymore. That, that silly headline that comes out every once in a while. But like, you know, you think about like the walking dead or, um, you know, we're seeing why the last man on, on Hulu right now, like I'm guessing people know that like the walking dead was, was a comic. If, you know, they are somewhat media, you know, yeah. yeah. But like how many people are like flipping on their, you know, their their Hulu and they see this like amazing trailer for, for why the last man and they started up and probably, you know, I haven't had a chance to check it out yet, but I want to, but I'm assuming that maybe like right before it goes to like, uh, you know, the action and they, they finish the, uh, the intro, you know, it's like starring Uh Diane Lane. And then it's like, it's probably the very last thing is like, based on the series by Pia Guerrera and Brian K. Vaughn, you know, like yep. probably people get shocked when, when, when that comes up or maybe they don't pay attention to it that much, but it's just, it's always interesting when you're able to sort of show people that like comics are much more than that superhero book that you think it is. Um, so or, more. you know, or like, again, like I, I kind of went away from this, but like you could go to a school and, you know, you go to college and you could take a class on, you know, Greek mythology and people would mm-hmm. say, hey, you know what, that's a, a legitimate academic sort of, uh, you know, venture to take. But like, if you look at that, like, what's so much different than, you know, that story than, you know, than a, than a Spider-Man story? Like, you know, the, when you get down to the crux of like the storytelling, a lot of that stuff is, is going to be the same. So I do like your, your, you know, your defense or your equating 
um, you know, comic book and superhero storytelling to like Greek mythology and it being like the modern um, mythology for us. It totally is. I mean, how can you not say, I mean, when a little kid is watching uh, Batman or Superman or Avengers, what have you, like that little kid is like, because I remember, because I was that little kid, I was absorbed in that world, you know, and then we got t-shirts, man, we got lunchboxes, we got underwear, we got socks, like, how can you not call all of this, you know, worship, in a sense, mm-hmm. just like how uh, the Greek gods were treated in their day. And I'm so glad that you brought up Why the Last Man, because when that trailer dropped, uh, and my buddy was talking to me about it, he told me, like, he said verbatim, he was like, I can't believe a story like that came from a comic book. And I was just like, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm just like, that's what I'm trying to say, man. <laughs> like, I'm trying to tell you, you're right. Like people's perception. It's all about, it's, I think, man, I think ultimately it's just like, um, it's the format. Like it's the format of physical comic book issues themselves. Because Mm -hmm. if you take a lot of comic book art, you take Alex Ross and you portray it in a museum on like a big, big print or something like that. All these people, regardless of that, he's drawing Captain America or whatever, are going to be like, oh, shit. Like Alex Ross is a really detailed, like very well-trained, you know, artistic force. Uh, But then when you put his art like in a floppy comic book, (laughs) um, like people just don't think it's really worth anything. Because it's, uh, and I'm not saying that Alex Ross art isn't worth anything. I'm just saying that, like, this is my opinion on how the general public um, just views comic books and why there's that disconnect of, you know, Spider-Man or something being silly as a comic book. But then when it's a movie, it's not silly anymore. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, again, you made a lot of points that, that, you, that I agree with. Um, and I think we've gone in a lot of interesting directions again. Um, so I'm going to steer us back to, to the book. Um, so you, how did you go about finding your, your art team? You, you mentioned that this is sort of a, a four-person creative team. So how did you go That's about right. finding the, the other three individuals that, that work on this book? I got so lucky so 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 lucky um so 2016 when i finished the first issue first script um i went to deviant art um deviantart.com which i'm i'm pretty sure is still up and running today and i just put up a post just explaining what the comic book was going to be about um the first issue i'm not sure if i posted the first issue or not i just i think i just had the post just explaining what's going on and then people could message me and try and get in touch with me and um it worked out really well i got something like 112 different submissions it worked out really well because i said it was going to be a paid mm-hmm. <laughs> a paid gig uh because i would see those submissions all the time on deviant art for people looking for collaborators but there was no money in it and those people never got responses for the most part so yeah anything yeah just, that's like rule number one if you're a writer trying to get into comics you need to pay your artists. So you got to figure out funds first. Uh, but Diego uh, responded to me. He's the Diego Toro, our artist extraordinaire. He, he was one of about five guys who I knew would possibly be it. I mean, when I first saw Diego, I kind of felt like 
this was going to be him. Like he was the one, like I felt like it just fit perfectly. But what I did was I told like the top five artists out of going through like a hundred submissions. I told the top five guys, I wanted them to draw the main character and just their interpretation of what he would look like. So I just gave them five pages of the first script uh, with the scene of Franklin, uh, Franklin North being our main character. He's the little kid in the blue hoodie, if anyone uh, just wants to know. He's also like the main one on the Kickstarter page as well, but he's a kid, right? And I'm sure that you've encountered this before. Like sometimes some artists uh, draw kids as just looking uh, not exactly like kids. Like they could tend to just look like little adults sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, and some of the artists that sent back to me, like their kids were like a little bit off and like Franklin's one of the main characters. So I wanted to make sure I could find somebody who could draw adults and kids and make it all work. And Diego sent back, uh, his first drawing of Franklin and he just nailed it. I mean, it's so freaking perfect. He nailed like his attitude and like I don't know about you but whenever I get an artist interpretation of the character back I always get a better sense of like who they are as a person if that makes any sense yeah um, yeah it does cause, yeah because like you just get a sense of just like when I'm writing them they kind of just feel like at first they just kind of feel like like shadows like they're not entirely uh concrete even if I have an idea of like what they're feeling and saying and whatnot like seeing them and then seeing the artist interpretation just really like brings a lot out so um yeah it's it's just like it was just perfect like i just knew that he was the one and i'm just so freaking i'm just lucky dude like that's basically the whole thing of finding a diego i mean i put work and effort into it but it was just luck finding someone who um i could just collaborate with so well and he can draw anything. Very cool. So like one of the questions I, I have for, for writers, um, I found that luckily I've come, I, I, I've had this sort of happy accident uh, a few times where um, the, the artist goes um, and they almost draw exactly like what was in your mind's eye for, for like a, a, a panel or for a character. So was that what you got when Diego came back? Was it like, I know you said they're sort of like in shadows at this point, but like as this sort of story is unfolding in your mind, was that mm -hmm. character design like right on? Or was it like, you know, the other thing I found that it's like, it's even, or sometimes it's, it's even so much better than what I had in my mind's eye. That's yeah. It's the second one for me most of the time because my mind's eye um, looks terrible. <laughs> like visually <laughs> like uh i'm a terrible illustrator i can draw a couple things well not even i mean i draw sometimes for fun more like coloring i'll just color in shapes and things like that i can draw mm -hmm. like i can mimic a little bit of like brian lee o'malley's style okay scott pilgrim i can draw like those faces a little bit but i'm a terrible artist it's not really the visual sense there isn't it's just not there but um most of the time he always makes things look better diego in in our case on working on deliverance it's never so much like you know i haven't really had a time yet where like i'm describing this character that he you know comes up with a design or something that was exactly what i was thinking he always improves upon it um 
he always improves upon it and just makes it look so much better than he really takes the time to and that's the thing like i'm trying to write into diego's world Mm -hmm. you know and he's trying to draw into my world so it's like i'm trying to i think anyway i'm trying to like make his art look as good as possible with my writing and he's trying to make his art look as good as possible wait i think i said that wrong (laughs) (laughs) uh i'm trying to make his art look as good as possible with my writing and he's trying to make my writing look as good as possible with his art i think very cool so you 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 have uh diego uh i'm assuming he's sort of your your line artist um Mm -hmm. so are the other members of your team a colorist and a a letterist yes coat is the name of our colorist k-o-t-e and he is fucking fantastic like a lot of our storytelling he does this really cool thing with colors eventually when we get into some action scenes where uh he delves into like the mood like there's a great is it in issue number three or mm, no it's in issue number two but there's a scene where franklin and his mom are driving driving away trying to um i don't want to spoil anything but they're just driving and like the scene is all in red And the previous scene before uh, where things are a little bit more like uh, home intruder (laughs) kind of vibes, that scene was like done all in like blacks and blues. So um, a lot of our storytelling like is still is being done by coach. And he's just every time I get an issue back from him in my email, it's like it feels like Christmas or something. (laughs) Even though I love getting like the pencils and the inks, um, the colors just add so much to it so much to it as well and then uh we have our letterer christian christian doklamansky i believe i'm pretty sure that's how you say his last name don't be mad at me christian if you hear this but uh he's just a incredible letterer and graphic design basically he's we're going through and changing some things for the kickstarter uh graphic design wise like we're rearranging the credits page and the cover and just doing a couple of things like that. And he's been an immense help too, because I, I'm not exactly the best editor um, when it comes to stuff like that. But yeah, the four of us have been working hard on this for number for so many years, man. So many years now. <laughs> so did, did any of those people on the creative team have any connections to each other um, before this project or did you find them all sort of individually and, and bring them together? Cause a lot of times I've found, you know, in my experience that like, um, you know, I might find an artist and like, they'll turn some pages in. They're like, Hey, by the way, you know, my buddy so-and-so is a colorist and we've worked on things in the past. Do you want to see some samples? Um, what, how did you, like I said, were, were any of these people connected before or were these just sort of, you know, the four of you um, were sort of individuals and you just liked what you saw as far as what they could they could bring to the, to the project? Right, yeah, it was the same experience for me. Uh, Diego knew Coat and I just saw some samples and I was like, yes. I, honestly, it was just like, because I knew that they were friends, uh, they would be able to, Diego would be able to give some points and whatnot. Like, I think it's good that the whole team always knows each other and then i think coat recommended me to christian but it's good that the whole team all knows each other because i want us all to be in open communication with Mm -hmm. each other i don't want it to feel um 
you know, like it's only Diego and me talking and then the colorist and the letterer get left out of it. I want all of us to be um, sharing ideas and trying to figure out just how to make the best, you know, the best comic book possible. Yeah, I, 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 I again, another point that you made that uh, either I've experienced or I agree with, it just sort of have, um, you know, working relationships, if it works out that way, that like, you know, um, you get Diego, um, and then like, he's able to say, hey, you know, I, I've worked with this person in the past, and now you know that there's that relationship, you know, that they have a bit of a workflow already set up, like less pieces for you to sort of have to manage and and, and put together. And there's a bit of a, a bit of a trust factor in that, like somebody whose art that you sort of are vibing on or respecting so much is like, hey, you know, if you like what I do, like, look at this, like, it's sort of like a, a, a a vetting that you you've had already that uh you know if you had right. to go out and go get like a colorist on your own you know um there might be some stuff that you have to sort of work out uh at the beginning which this relationship probably saves you a few steps uh so yeah i, I think that's a that's a really great idea and if that stuff presents itself as a as a comic book maker it's it's sort of invaluable definitely um i'm excited to get to that point where hopefully down the line I'll be able to, I mean, I want to keep working with these guys for a long time. Um, I want to keep working with Diego for the rest of my career. I want to keep finding stories for him to draw and just, you know, cause he was my first collaborator and just like the experience has just been so good. Um, but I am excited to get to a point where I hopefully have enough, um, clout to be able to pick like which colorist I think would work best with which artists and stuff like that I mean mm -hmm. colorists today are so 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 good and like I mean like Jordi Belair is someone who immediately comes to mind like she could color any comic book as far as I'm concerned you know what I mean but then mm -hmm. there's like um, um like Dave Stewart is somebody who is just I think he could color any comic book as well but he just does like a certain sort of like there's a tone to his mm -hmm. work especially with his Hellboy stuff and his creepier things like I don't know if anyone can color a horror comic better than Dave Stewart you know what I mean yeah like he just has there's just something you know there's just something about that 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 sort of like I don't know the dark style that he adds to Hellboy. That's just, I think it's just as important. I think he's just as important a piece of Hellboy as Mike Mignola is for sure. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think sometimes when we think of, of comics, there's certainly sort of the unsung heroes of comics and it's the colorist and, mm -hmm. and, and to maybe to a larger extent, it's the letterer because um, it's sort of like uh, the, you you don't notice lettering unless it's done wrong Poorly. or right. done where it's confusing to sort of figure out the order that you need to read things in and then you notice it and you sort of it pulls you out of the comic for a second like if it's if it's yes. done well it just sort of flows and you don't really notice it but if it's done you know, poorly or confusingly, then you 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 take that moment to go, oh, did I read that balloon the right way? I should have read that. Yeah. Like then you you backtrack, and then that moment of like magic that we were talking about, where you had been transported to this world and you were experiencing it, you're sort of doing like this like 
mental rewind of 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 that world for 30 seconds which you can't do and mm-hmm. you're like oh i'm reading a comic book because i'm backing up right now and I'm, I'm going back over that dialogue or that balloon so i think the things that you were saying about like um the colorist on those books and like on this book and the letterer and letterers in general i i, I think uh, you made some pretty good points there yeah um it's so important to all of that just like another series that immediately comes to mind is hawkeye Matt Fraction and David Aja and Matt Hollingsworth. Mm-hmm. I don't know, I'm not sure if you read that series, but um, just the purples, like Matt Hollingsworth is also someone who I'm just like, he's also a Rick Remender collaborator and somebody that I would uh, give my left hand to work with <laughs> because <laughs> um, he's just so freaking incredible and a storyteller. Like that's the thing, like colorists um, at this point in the game, at this time in, um comic book creating um, the colorists are storytellers themselves they're bringing mm-hmm. certain points out of the story and they're drawing your eye and yeah it's every single part is really important have you heard about the nate picos lettering book that he's doing that's coming out soon no I, I definitely will have to to check that out i have all of those sort of dc guides to to, to making comics and i know that i think the that one has that one for lettering is like split in half with with another aspect of, of comic making, but that's definitely something I would like to check out. Definitely, it's on Amazon now. I've already uh, pre-ordered it. I think that's how you say his last name, Picos, Nate Picos. Uh, I think he's a letterer for Blambot. Okay, I want to say, um, but yeah, it's like an image comic published book, just all about comic book lettering and. I'm so excited to pour into it and just try to uh, because like I've thought about being um, I've thought about lettering my own work myself a couple times just to try and um, at this point just to try and save money you know Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm super excited to dig into that and I'm sure that you've checked out like understanding comics and all the Scott McCloud stuff too. Yeah I think sort of one of the questions I ask people like when they when they come on the podcast um, and they they make this jump that they they want to make the they want to make comics one of the questions I'll ask them is like all right so how did you go about it did you reverse engineer books that you really liked or did you go grab all of the sort of the standard um, textbooks you know uh, the the Scott McCloud book the the Bendis book um, mm-hmm. just and so I, I found that Generally, it's it's a mixture of both. Um, people like to reverse engineer like stories that they like, and they also sort of like to dive into the textbook. So yeah, the the Scott McCloud book is I, I assume is probably on the bookshelves of ninety to ninety five percent of the people who are serious about uh, making comics. Definitely, definitely, Scott McCloud is our god he's a comic book he's a comic book making god i just um i picked up zot a couple weeks ago because i never read it before i've only read the sculptor by okay. him um and i'm so excited to i'm so excited to read it I, it's just sitting on my my giant stack of books that i haven't read but need to read uh <laughs> but i'm just so excited about it the sculptor just blew my mind like I don't know if you've read that one. No, um, that's that's something that I, I would definitely like to check out, though. Oh, dude. Yeah, it's if you're at all a fan of Scott McCloud, because like he proves everything 
that's the thing. Like, not only is the sculptor just an amazing, um, beautiful story, but he knew like it, it was going to be put under a magnifying scope. He put himself in a position uh, to just be, you know, judged on every single little decision he made um, yeah. because of understanding comics and reinventing comics and whatnot. So, and he kills it, dude, like 10 out of 10, every single little thing in that book. I mean, I'm, I'm overhyping it, man, like, because I love it so much, but I think he absolutely killed it. And he's one of the most important people in comics ever, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, yeah, I, it's it's a I guess it's a, it's a boring interview when everybody agrees, but uh, I, I agree with you uh, <laughs> once again. Um, so let's uh, as as we continue here, um, let's talk about uh, Kickstarter. Uh, cool. So this is um, a Kickstarter for for one to th- one through three, correct? That's correct. And you have gone to Kickstarter before for, for previous issues. Remind me if I'm, was it one or, or, or one and two together? I, I, I seem to think maybe one and two were together. It was, yep, you're right. It was one and two together. That was the first Kickstarter that I did. And um, if I could go back, <laughs> I probably would have just released the first issue mm-hmm. and then done another Kickstarter for the second one. But that's okay. Uh, that's the first time that we did it. And I just wanted to get it out there and make sure people got a big chunk of the story. Because uh, the first issue is 33 pages, and then the second issue is 24, I want to say. So I just wanted to give people as much as possible and, um, you know, hopefully just hook them. But from now on, we're doing just like each Kickstarter that we're going to do is going to be issue by issue. Um, as if soon as like issue number three um goes through which i'm feeling pretty good about it so far we're over halfway funded but as soon as issue three goes through then we would do issue number four hopefully next month or maybe december i want to try to my plan right now is to daisy chain them so we do one issue uh it gets funded people get it in the mail next month and then that next month we also start the campaign for that next issue, for issue number four in this case. Mm-hmm. So as soon as people are getting them in the mail, the next campaign begins. And hopefully they get them at a pace that's going to be more or less month to month, just like how they're getting their comics at the comic book store. That's the goal. Awesome. And it seems like from what you said earlier, the fact that you have so many of these uh, you know, production-wise um, already done, um, that's going to allow you to sort of stay uh you know shoot for for that schedule of mm-hmm. of monthly and it's also some of the hope that each time you come to kickstarter you know you went to kickstarter 1-2 you go into kickstarter 1 through 3 i'm assuming next time it's 1 through 4 that the hope is is that um for somebody like me who was a backer of 1 and 2 i'm able to jump in and continue with 3 um, exactly. you know in a you know maybe a couple of months I'll see the you know the notification that four is there, um, and I'll be able to jump in and continue. But you'll also have the ability for somebody who who hasn't been there before, um, the, you know, for whatever reason it just didn't they just didn't see it the the first time. But now they're seeing one through four, and they're like, I really want to get caught up. So is that some of the hope that each time you're building? And giving the ability for somebody who 
wasn't on on board uh, to to jump in and catch up. Took the words right out of my mouth, Matt. Cool. Yep. Cool. And uh, are you? You know, you, you said you're about halfway funded here. Um, do you? Are you looking to see like when when backers come in? Um, what you're getting like um do you have like sort of a breakdown of like all right this is a person that's coming in for three they were with me for one and two this person looks like they're coming in for one through three like are you are you just sort of at this point right now just like i gotta put my focus into to kickstarter and i'll go look at that sort of data later um when i have a moment to breathe i'll definitely be reviewing that um closer at the end when the campaign is said and done but yeah my main um i want to get everybody back i want to get the 45 i think it was 45 45 backers um who supported the first kickstarter i want all of them to come back for this one but i also want to get a good percentage of new people so so far it's been um mostly people who have come back which is Mm -hmm. good i was worried about that because i don't know if you remember uh, thank you for backing us again, though, by the way. I just want to say um, that really means a lot. But um, I want to bring in a whole bunch of new people as well. Um, and I kind of made a mistake there by uh, waiting so long because that first Kickstarter campaign was back in 2019. Uh, and then 2020 happened and, you know, we don't have to get into all that. But I don't want to make people wait such a long time. That's why I wanted to do the daisy chain. And that way I would be able to hopefully, I think, I mean, it's going to work a lot better than, you know, waiting so long. But if I do them more consistently, then the amount of backers will slowly start to build up more and more and more with each release. Yeah. Uh, so you got one of the questions that I was thinking about asking was was about the the time frame. But I think your 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 statements there about 2020 and how that threw everybody for for a loop that was a, a bit of a, a reason for um, sort of the time between the the Kickstarter um, for one and two to where we are now for one through three. So it was just sort of like everybody was just taking stock of the world, and it seems like maybe. Um, that was the yes. reason for yeah um cool uh so also i think one thing that's that's pretty interesting is, is that like um kickstarter allows you the the ability to um try to reach um you know 45 people to to get the book out to, to, to them at the first time um are you doing things as we get back to normal are you um are you looking to try to go to cons and, 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 and hand sell this book? And maybe by doing that, you know, you can drop a, you know, a line and say, Hey, this is one through three, but just sort of be aware that, you know, four is coming to Kickstarter in a couple of months. Like, do you have any plans there? Oh yeah. Um, it's a dream to get a table at any con. I think the first time I'm going to get to do it will be at Rose city. Um, it depends because there's like such a huge, uh, backlog of people trying to get into some of those bigger shows but yes like i want tabling to be a big part of the process i want all of it dude i want to have you know the sign i want like i'm just i'm really excited to just like be a guy at a table and just sell my wares and sell the book and just interact with people i'm 
1000% going to do that. I'm also, once I get, um, after this campaign and goes through and I get to print a whole bunch of issue number ones, I live in the, well, I don't live in Portland, but I live outside of Portland. And there's a couple comic book stores that I've talked to already that are willing to carry the book in the store. So from this campaign, after we get a whole bunch of issues uh, produced um, and manufactured, I'm going to take those and try to do like a cross-pollination sort of thing where I give my comic book to all these stores and they sell it in the shop. But also I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create some sort of like card or something to put in the comic, letting them know that there's going to be a Kickstarter down the road. Yeah, that's that's a really cool um, uh, plan as well. Um, Portland being like the, I know there's a lot of like creators for for the big two that live in there. Um, Do you think that like that helps sort of the the comic scene in Portland? That like you know you might uh, you know if if you're somebody like that like us that's really into comics, you might you know walk into a shop and you know Fraction or Bendis are there like picking up their books yep. for for the week yeah 100 percent. i haven't run into fraction or bendis yet just picking up their books for the week but i've been to a bunch of signings um with bendis and fraction where i mean signings are not happening as frequently right now but mm -hmm. um it is the place to be like if you're it's so helpful and i'm so grateful that i live um nearby because it really is comics mecca I mean, the majority of the industry is here and all these creators are just kicking it around Portland all the time and they're doing signings and things. And that's why Rose City is a really good con because um, you can just talk and interact with these people. And Rose City is getting to a point where I've watched it get bigger and bigger each year. And it's kind of, I don't know. I mean, I remember in 2014 where Artist Alley was a really, really big part of the show. And now it seems like it's becoming more of like a, I don't know, like a merchandising kind of thing. It's not, it's not just about comic books anymore, but like, it's still just like such a great show for uh, just meeting individuals and getting to chat with them. And I mean, like I've met Greg Rucka a couple of times and some of the guys that are here and um, all of them are just so cool. Like, comic book people i haven't met a single person in comics yet where i was just like i really didn't enjoy talking <laughs> to you <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> like i'm sure those people exist those people are in any industry but like comic book people all tend to just be like very um creative nice and like thought-provoking individuals yeah and i you know um I, I i would assume that this is the case at rose city um, you know, and I live on the East Coast, so we have, you know, uh, cons in, in Baltimore and in Washington, D.C., and occasionally I'll, I'll make it down to, like, North Carolina. But, like, oh, nice. you might have, like, somebody that, like, um, knows um, comics because they love, like, Bendis's Miles Morales, and they know Bendis mm -hmm. is going to be at Rose City, so they come there and then they walk around, and that might be able to. They might be able to to see your book. So like that's that's a really cool part of comics. And you were saying how like it's just really cool that like you can talk to these people. And one of the things yeah. that we talk about on this podcast is, is like what's weird about comics fandom is is that like if I tweet at like Tom King, who's writing mm -hmm. Batman, he might write me back. Right. But like if I was if I was somebody who was like 
you know, acting is my passion and I want to be an actor. And I tweeted it like Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise is going to be like, I'm not, I'm not replying back to this fool, you know, but like we have this, we have this level of like openness to, to, to the, to the creators that they are so willing to sort of talk to you about things, which is, is which is, a, I guess is speaks to sort of the, 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 the uniqueness or the smallness of the community that we sort of, and as long as you like handle it the right way and, you know, you're, you treat these people with respect, they'll, they'll write you back. But I don't know if there's a, yeah. another, another sort of, you know, media uh, sphere of media where we have so much um, connection or so it's the ability to, to speak to these creators and that they are so willing to to come back and speak to us like again my tom cruise example i'm pretty sure tom cruise is not gonna get back to me online um like you know i think that's really cool about comics it's incredibly cool and like you said it yourself with the word connection like just like how we were talking about before like there's the connection with the reader and the writer and the artist or whatever and then there's the there's the intimacy of comics as well um that's different than the intimacy of like film and the viewer you know i like i love movies and tv shows but those tend to be you know um it can be a i don't know what the right word is but it's it's kind of a it could be an experience where if you're unengaged in what you're watching you're just kind of zoning out and you're just seeing images and people talking you know Mm -hmm. but when it comes to comic books like you're a part of the collaboration as the reader because your imagination is adding what the readers what the characters sound like to you um and you're you're kind of a participant in the story that's unfolding if that makes any sense and i think that's that there is something very special and unique about that yeah one of the one of the things we've talked about on this podcast is that like comics is the only well i not the only but like it's it's a rare thing in that like everybody experience as a, a comic differently. Like if I watch a Christopher Nolan movie and there's a car right. chase scene, like we all experience that at the same runtime. But if I right. sit down to to read a Spider-Man comic and I'm going along and there's one panel that like really draws me in with with the art, I might pause on that one longer than than somebody else does. So we all experience a comic differently but like with that example of, of a movie like that minute of runtime on the film we all experience one minute but like you can do different things and we all sort of experience a comic book relatively the same but there's there's differences in it like we can you know i might be in a mood where like i picked up this daredevil book and i'm enjoying it but i also just want to get through it um mm-hmm. and then like i might pick up like uh you know, like a, like a Hickman book or like uh, some of the Rorschach books from Tom King where like, I really want to slow down yeah, and experience this and go, okay, this is, this is what, this is what we're doing here. Or I think this is what we're trying to do. Or just like, it's just, you can, you can, you can control the pace, which is, which is pretty interesting. Yeah. The pacing. That's such a good point, dude. What you said about how when you do watch a scene down in the movie, you all experience, and that's what's so cool about seeing a movie with an audience. You get to all experience the same moment in real time together. Mm-hmm. But you're right about when you read a comic book, and 
I'm glad that you brought up Tom King's um, Rorschach. I've only read the first issue of it, dude. I'm so behind, but I thought that first issue was so fantastic. Um, he also, like, oh, man. So are you reading Strange Adventures as well? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm anxiously awaiting that, uh, that last issue to come out. Oh, dude, yeah. I think it comes out this Wednesday, right? Yeah, I think it was delayed, so it, it should be pretty soon. Oh, dude, yeah. They were, um, sorry, I'm going to get back to my point, but Mitch Garrods and Doc Shaner were at Rose City this year, and I just got to meet them, um, which was just, like, fucking fantastic. They got <laughs> to sign all my issues of Strange Adventures, and I got to geek out with them, and it was it was so cool. But, like, what you were describing about how when you're going through panels and, like, some readers will take more time on panels than the other, um, the w- moment that, like, recently, like, really hit me like that was when, you're reading Strange Adventures number one and they do that page turn where it's a full splash page of Adam Strange and he's sitting on his bed in his hotel room, but he's upside down. The shot is upside down mm-hmm. and there's something really nerving about it. And I remember thinking about it the first time I read it. I was like, oh, this is going to be a moment for later. This is going to this is like a big moment, even though I don't really understand the context yet. And that's the first moment because of the angling of the shot and whatnot like that's the first moment you realize like oh shit like adam strange may not necessarily be who the world is presenting him to be like and what you just said though like some people are going to turn and see that splash page and just be like oh it's a splash page and then they're going to immediately turn but some people are going to some readers are going to pause on that page and be like oh something's up here you know Mm -hmm. what i mean yeah and that could only if you're not a careful comic book reader you could just like zoom right past that but if it was a scene in a movie or something, the music or like the lighting would be letting you know, like, oh, this is a scene that you need to pay attention to. Yeah. Awesome. So um, I want to um, ask you my, my standard uh, Kickstarter question for somebody who is in the midst of, of running a Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. What, kind of, what kind of Kickstarter um manager are you are you clicking the refresh every 30 seconds to see backer counts and funding (laughs) goals are you able to sort of walk away go to the park come back and check it like what what type of uh kickstarter manager are you it's all on my phone so i get notifications from the kickstarter app whenever someone is there right now the kind of manager i'm being i'm just on twitter constantly and I'm trying not to burn myself out about it, but um, it's fun. Like, I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to complain or anything. I don't like being on social media a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but Twitter is one of those things where I've tried to really curate my Twitter to really just be all about comics because that's all I really use it for. I just try to follow creators and look at amazing pieces of art and whatnot. But yeah, every day I'm posting about it. I'm trying to um, just connect with some other people and... Um, talk about their kickstarters and repost their work and um mostly that's just yeah where the majority of my promotion has been going in i actually wanted to ask you um all of these do you you probably get messages from these like kickstarter managers right like these people who message you and say that they are really good at getting more views and stuff like that have you ever had any experience with working with any of them no, I uh, I generally um, I generally stay away from those. And the other mm-hmm. thing that sort of is a real um, 
just annoyance to me. I, I guess maybe annoyance isn't the right word, but like if I get a message from somebody that I don't have um, sort of knowledge of working with them in the past or seeing something in the past, like if it's just a form letter and it's like, yeah, hey, and I'm like, you didn't even take the time to go, oh, this guy's name is Matt. Let me write, hey, Matt. Like, that's mm. the other thing that, like, I I, I find um, that's fair. sort of frustrating. But, yeah, I, I, I tend to stay away um, from those sort of management services. We had a guy send me a nice sort of email that was, like, professional. And he was like, um, hey, um, I found your podcast. I have these two um, uh, books that I'm helping the the creators get on podcast with. So he sent me like a form letter, um, not a form letter, but a letter. And it had like a little bio, maybe like a picture or two. And I kind of mm-hmm. knew some of the guys um, that were creators from like just sort of online experiences. So I'm, I wrote them back and I'm like, yeah, of course, this is something I'd be interested in. So I'm starting to see that a little bit more now. Um, sort of like almost like social media um, uh, consultants or like um, podcast consultants where they'll they'll have somebody sort of working on that for them. Um, so that's something new that I, that I've seen. Right. Yeah. I'm just wondering. Yeah, I'm just wondering if it's going to be really beneficial or not. I have to look into it because uh, are you familiar with cartoons kayfabe? Yes. Yeah, for sure. I love those guys. Um, Ed Pisker talks about how he has a... Um, the name of it is escaping me. He has somebody who helps get the word out about all of his books. It's oh, yeah. Publisher. It's a... Is it like, he's got like a, like a publicist? Publicist. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. And I'm wondering, I mean, like, the thing is for me is like, how expensive is this going to be? <laughs> but um if a guy like an industry professional like ed pisker says that you need a publicist to get the word out about your book to other people i mean it probably it's it's not gonna hurt it's just really a matter of money and people who i'm just worried about like you know because like publicists who who get the word out about novels it's very different with comics so Mm -hmm. i would just want somebody who really knows what it is that they're doing but yeah, I don't know. I mean, we'll see how many backers. I'm hoping to get, um, when all is said and done, I'm hoping to have more backers than I did the first time, but we'll see how that goes, and then I'll look into it some more for next time. Yeah, I think one thing that we, I, I feel that, like as indie creators, one thing that I, I found is that it's almost like you build in steps. Like, you, you know, um, you do a Kickstarter, um, for sort of that minimal uh, viable product that, that you can do. And then maybe you can grow a little bit. And so maybe like one of the hopes is that like, as you keep growing, you maybe you get to the point where you can bring a publicist in and sort of take that focus off of off of your plate. But it's sort of like you have to kind of keep growing and adding little aspects to it. So maybe that that that's something to, to think about. Yeah. Um, and then there's just like, yeah. And yeah, then there's printing. Um, this is the first time last time I used a printer here in America. Um, mm-hmm. and it was pretty expensive. I've been told from some friends and other peers that I really need to get my printing done in China. So that's something that 
uh, I'm going to be looking into as well <laughs> and figuring all of that stuff out. The whole like marketing side of things, man, like it's like, I'm still learning. I'm just learning as I go and trying to figure it all out. Yeah. It's, it's, it's one of those things where uh, that's one of the questions we have people is like, um, you know, it's like uh, you have to wear two hats at, you know, at this point in your career, like, uh, you know, if you're a remender, you can put a book out and, you know, it's going to get like covers and previews and, and it's going to sell. Mm-hmm. But, you know, guys like us, you know, half the time it's sort of that creative hat that you're wearing where you're, you're making stuff. And the other half is like the the uh, the promotions half where you're, you know, hey, this is my book. Could you check it out? If you like this, I think you'd like that. It's just sort of mm-hmm. like, you know, at this point, um, yeah, it's 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 uh, being an indie curator is 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 two things. It's creating and it's marketing, um, which is, um, you know, I the marketing is certainly not as fun as the creating, but it's just something that you <laughs> that we all need to to do um, if we're going to be serious about this kind of stuff. Right. I mean, and Bendis says that in words for pictures. He says, you know, you're a business, mm-hmm. like even though that we typically, I, I don't want to speak for you, but creatives typically um, we hate business. Like <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to be like a guy in a suit, like trying to sell you on something. Um, yeah. But you, I'm, I, I'm not going to be that exactly. I'm not going to be that guy who's just trying to sell you something I don't really care about. I mean, like that's the thing that we have going for us as comic creators is that, you know, this story came from my heart. <laughs> it came from, you know, this is a piece of me. And this is something that I really felt I had to get out into the world. And I'm so thankful that Kickstarter as a platform um, is there to help people like us, like really bring that to fruition. Yeah, I agree with you again. Um, awesome. So I feel like we went a lot of places uh, in this in this interview. You know, we talked about like sort of the magic of comics, the desire to make comics. And then mm-hmm. at the end, we got into Kickstarter and, and, and marketing. And, you know, you gave us a lot of cool tips. Uh, I'm going to have to check out if I can find that that book on lettering. Um but as we close up, um, let's do, um, I, I know you said that Twitter is sort of your main um, means of, of social media. Uh, do you do you have anything other than, than your Twitter where people could follow along? Just Twitter at the moment. Um, you could just find me at hey underscore TGP. And that's where I'm promoting all of my stuff. I'm thinking about making a Reddit page. Okay. Okay. Cause I've, I've, I've been told that there's, um a solid comic book community there so i'm thinking about uh just getting it out on there and trying some stuff there do you what platforms do do you mind if i ask what platforms do you typically use um so uh i as a writer um i love twitter just to sort of get in get out really quick um yeah i i do post stuff to my facebook page which i'm not sure how effective that is because I certainly have a number of friends and family that are creators but you know sure if it's some some dude I played baseball with in in high school you know 20 years ago he's not gonna he's not gonna care about that stuff um (laughs) right I I I have an Instagram I have a Tumblr I don't get a lot of of traction on on Tumblr but I I do sort of just post there from from time to time so um, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, I, I guess are my, my big three. 
Okay. Um, you know, Instagram, um, as somebody who can draw a little bit, a lot of it is me just um, being able to post like cool artwork that like the, the artists that I'm working with are doing to hopefully drive some, some eyeballs to, to the project. Nice. Yeah. All cool. right. So I'm going to have a link to your Twitter and definitely going to have a link to, to the Kickstarter page in the, in the show notes uh, to this podcast. But as we close up, let's do the, uh, I know you gave us a more detailed um, pitch, but let's, let's, let's finish off with, with the elevator pitch for uh, this book again. Yeah. So it's basically battle Royale meets heaven or wait, no, it's basically battle Royale meets what dreams may come. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's basically battle Royale in heaven. I would say that's what I was trying to say at first. It's kind of those two ideas, uh, mixed together, but then that's just the elevator pitch. If you ask me, you know, what I think the book is really about, I think it's really about parents and, you know, having like, I don't know, having distance from it. I think what, what it's really all about is just the relationship between parents and their children and the struggle that comes from loving someone who you don't really, I don't know, the relationship between parents and children fascinates me because parents don't typically really get anything out of it. It's, it's you know, they're taking care of somebody and this other entity that is a part of them, but isn't them but they, you know, but they love it. I mean, but like not all parents love their children. <laughs> so like there's that kind of side of it too. Um, and it's just, you know, I mean, like it's universal. Like we all come from some type of family, even mm-hmm. if it's a positive or negative, you know, it's just um, that dynamic. Those dynamics are in every single one of our lives. And it's, you know, one of my favorite things to write about and think about. Awesome. Well, I'm actually glad that you went beyond uh, the elevator pitch, because I think one thing that's really important in you by giving us the elevator pitch and then the more detailed pitch is is really um, an important thing for for storytelling, because like the tagline, the elevator pitch, that's like a really cool thing. But if you don't execute it with um, making us connect again, we're going back to connection or at some point, you know, have a vested interest in the the characters and you know root for them want to see them achieve things i think that's the other really important things of of, of storytelling um you know a con- a cool concept will only get you so far but you so you got to have you you, you got to have that and then you got to have more you have to have character and i think the way you described sort of the 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 family aspect and you know everybody came from a family um you know, that should be an instant way for us to um, be invested in these characters and, and make a connection to this character. So I'm glad that you went beyond just sort of the the, the elevator pitch of this meets this and this happens. Like, I, I think that's a very important thing that, you know, we should all remember when we're making stories. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, that's something that I'm asking myself, whatever I'm writing, I'm asking myself, even if it's about you know, like ray guns and spaceships, you know, like what it, what is the story like actually about? Mm-hmm. You take something like Game of Thrones, you know, what's Game of Thrones about? It's about 
violence it's about politics it's about you know a whole bunch of things but at its core it's really about the, it's really about family mm-hmm. that's what all of game of thrones is really about it's really about the starks and it's about this family this powerful family trying to survive in this really harsh world you know yeah well well said awesome yeah. so again um please check out the uh the show notes um for the kickstarter link and and for garrett's uh um twitter um i'll have that as long as as also i'm gonna have a link to a pre-launch kickstarter page um for future tales of sci-fi which is coming out uh november 1st of 2021 i have a story in there um with art by my co-host noah who wasn't able to to make it today um so there's going to be a kickstarter link for that as well if you want to follow the podcast we're on twitter and that's at construct compod Instagram is Constructing Comics Pod and Facebook is Constructing Comics. I'd like to thank everybody for listening. Um, Please be safe, be nice, and go out there and make some comics. Thank you.